Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. We're doing a message series on our core values, F-I-R-E, it spells fire. Why, do you ask, does it spell fire? Because river, oil, water, and wind were too hard to deal with. So, I'm sorry. Two weeks ago was the Father's heart, last week was intimacy, and then this week is our for restoration. We're going to talk about restoration and what that means. And uh, we are going to talk about healing and restoration today. That is going to come up. But I want to talk about restoration in three different senses that I think are all very, very true, very applicable, and actually incredibly encouraging from the Bible. So this morning, I want you to leave encouraged. Somebody say, I'm going to leave encouraged. Yes, man, for first service, that was a rocking response. Guys, let's jump right in. When I sit down to prepare my message, which looks like me getting up very early, making a cup of instant coffee and saying, oh, God, the weekend's coming again. What, what should I, what in the world am I going to talk about? And this is the deep prayer time of a pastor, by the way. And then God is faithful and he gives you something good. So I'm like, Lord, where do I even start? And I realize that the Bible starts with two guys that need restoration. Adam and Eve sin, God goes about the business of restoring them. And I'm, then I'm like, oh gosh, the next big player, Cain, needs to be restored, right? He messes up big, and God is already right there trying to talk to him, trying to coach him in the right direction. And even after he sins, God is right there taking care of him. He wants to restore relationship. And then I was like, oh, geez, even the story of Noah is really about humanity becoming unfaithful again and God's plan to restore his relationship with them. And then I realized... We could, we could really basically just go through the entire Old Testament. Abraham, again, God wants to restore relationship with mankind. He's like, Abraham, Abram, I pick you. We're going to make this thing happen. Jacob and Esau, beautiful story of what restoration can look like. Read that story. It's fantastic. King David, he's great until he's not so great. And then what happens? Restoration happens with the Lord. And, and I included this guy because a lot of people don't talk about him, but I love this story. It's Manasseh. If you're like, who in the world is that? This is the person that I would like to look up the story of Manasseh. If you're old, and if you know you've been a real piece of garbage your entire life, read the story of Manasseh and be encouraged, (laughs) because this guy was a real piece of garbage his entire life. But at the end of his life, he gets restored, and it's legit. There are beautiful stories of restoration all throughout the Bible. It's one of the main themes of Scripture is that God is desperate to restore his relationship with his people. We're going to talk about different aspects of the Bible. That's right. Thank you, Laura Shockley. Amen. I love it. But I want to talk about my favorite story of restoration in the Bible, and that is the story of Hosea's wife. Who's read Hosea ever? Excellent. I was first introduced to this by the song Acres of Hope by Shane and Shane. Any Shane and Shane fans in here? It's on their clean album, Amen. I see that hand. So it's a beautiful song. I'd encourage you to listen to it. But I looked up the scripture it came from, and it's this remarkable story where Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he gets a terrible job. God says, Hosea, you're going to go get married, and I want you to find the worst whore you can find and marry her. And Hosea is faithful, so he does. Now, I don't say that word lightly. In the translation I read this morning, it said like whore and whoredom like three times in chapter one because that's the point. God is giving him an assignment. He says, I want you to find somebody who's going to run around on you, shame you, never be faithful, and I want you to be faithful to them because you're a prophet, lucky you, 
and I want to demonstrate through you in real time, right here and now, how I feel about my people. So she's going to run around on you, and guys, the odds are actually pretty good. She actually was a prostitute while she was married. I mean, I can't prove that, but the language is pretty strong. So here's your job, Hosea. Go bring her back and restore her constantly, and just don't quit. You're an object lesson for my people. I want them to see how I work. So rough job. They actually have a lot of kids and, and stuff. You can read that in chapter 1. And then chapter 2 happens. I'm going to anchor the rest of this message in Hosea chapter 2 as we talk about restoration. Because God says this, what's happening in real time with real people in your relationship, Hosea, I'm going to talk about how that's a metaphor for how I relate to Israel right now as well. Because just like she's running around on you with these physical lovers, I, my people are running around on me with lovers, quote-unquote, that he actually calls Baals. They're other gods. They're idols. We are going to read a large chunk of scripture. And as is my custom, I will now take a deep breath. So I do not pass out while I read the Bible, which is not being slain in the spirit. It's just, I could never do radio. It's just passing out. Right, here we go. I will not show love. I will not show my, my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and she has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Therefore, I, this is the Lord talking, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She will look for them, but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. I'd like to pause right there and say, this is not coming in repentance, is it? This is, I need stuff. Hey, he was a sucker. He gave me stuff. I'll go back. Wrong motive. I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they used for Baal. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals, also her lovers in this metaphor. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. If I stopped reading here, this would be a much different message. I could quit here, and it looks like God is actually being quite vindictive, right? Maybe justly so, because she's running around on him, this metaphorical wife. But something interesting is being done. And guys, I would just encourage you, read Hosea chapter 2 a lot. If you wanted to spend a week and just read it and digest it, you will learn a lot about how God works, what God wants, what God wants for you, what his motives are, what drives him. It's fantastic. It continues. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There, I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor, which I believe means trouble. Jimmy, Hebrew scholar, Achor, trouble. Yeah. I'm getting the look that's like, dude, I've been out of school for a while. Sorry about that, buddy. <laughs> I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Hope. Somebody say hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth. Ah, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. 
I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. And that is Hosea 2, 4 to 8, 13 to 16, 17, and 19 to 20 for anyone who's listening. I'm going to anchor my whole message in here, and we're going to talk about restoration. God's heart is pretty good. Don't stop halfway through. He wanted something amazing for this unfaithful woman. Metaphorically, that's the people of Israel at the time, and guess what? All of us now. Read Hosea chapter 2 a lot, but we're going to move on. The first type of restoration I want to talk about, really the first angle that I want to talk about restoration from, is assured restoration. And by this, I absolutely simply mean this. Your relationship with God will always, 100% of the time, right now, be restored if you desire it. Absolutely, 100% of the time. What percent? 100, right now, if you desire it. So real quick, what does it look like to desire that type of relationship, that type of restoration with God? If you've been at Vine for any amount of time, you've probably seen this slide because it's one of my favorites. And this is The Prodigal Son by Rembrandt. It's actually just a little bit of it. Uh, look it up online. Check out, like, interpretations of the painting. It's really cool. But The Prodigal Son is a great example of what it looks like to come and to seek restoration in the right way. Someone I searched for the quote. I couldn't find who said it, but it was somebody that if I told you who said it, you go, oh, they said it. It must be good. <laughs> said that if you want the reception that the prodigal son received... You have to come as the prodigal son came. Now, this guy was a punk. He was disrespectful. He skipped town. He basically gave the double-barrel middle finger to his whole family and went to a foreign land. This is a persona non grata by any stretch of the imagination in the ancient world, okay? And then he realizes, you know, my dad was pretty great. I'm starving to death. Maybe I should go home. You can read the story in Luke 15. But the way he came is what I want to focus on. He was desperate to go back. He had two things. He had a pretty good grasp on his situation. He knew that he, was, he had totally blown it. He did not deserve anything. He couldn't earn his way back, period. And he had a pretty good grasp on who his dad was. He knew his dad was the kind of guy that gave his slaves more than enough. And he's like, well... My faith is in who he is because I know my situation. I'm just going to go back and we're going to see how this goes. Spurgeon says this is the way that he left. And this is in David Guzik's commentary on Luke 15 from the Blue Letter Bible app. Thank you very much. The prodigal son did not go back to the citizen of that country and say, Will you raise my wages? If not, I must leave. Had he parlayed, he had been lost. But he gave his old master no notice. He concerned his indentures by running away. I would that sinners here would break their league with death and violate their covenant with hell by escaping for their lives to Jesus, who receives all such runaways. If you want restoration with God, it looks like running away from your current situation, regardless of what you're leaving behind because of what you're going towards. And then David Guzik himself, who I quote, a lot because I want people to get the Blue Letter Bible app, and that's where you can read him, says simply this, the Father's love waited and never forgot. It was a love that fully received, not putting the Son on probation. And this was especially remarkable because the Son had disgraced the family by his prodigal living. I want to pause here. This is my first point. This assured restoration of relationship 
is the beginning of the Christian life. When you come to Jesus, knowing your situation and knowing who you're going to, you will be received, period, 100% of the time. So if your relationship with God right now is not that fresh, if it's been better, if it's been deeper, if it's been closer, if you feel like you're drifting away, you need to be reminded that the Father is a Father who waits and never forgets, who fully receives and does not put on probation. Please do not leave here today without having that restored. It is assured. And if you've never met Jesus before, if you've never turned over the keys of your life to a God who loves you, please do that today. Man, we're going to have a prayer team up front. Come up there and do it. It is assured. You don't have to run the risk. It's a 100% sure thing. So that's the first type of, of restoration I want to talk about. And this restoration is how we begin the Christian life. But it's not the end, is it? No, because there's also an aspect of continual restoration. And when we talk about restoration, this is what we talk about most of the time. And this is actually, I think, it, it's subtle, but this is right there in Hosea chapter 2. You'll notice that God says something prophetically that's very interesting. This is sanctification, basically. I, I should have said that first. <laughs> I'm, I've debated whether or not to say this, but I'm going to say it. Uh, <clears throat> I said last week for intimacy that I think relationship would be better because intimacy sounds kind of girly. But then we have uh, F-R-R-E, which doesn't make any sense. But I also feel like restoration could be called sanctification. But then we, we have F-R-S-E, which is farce. And farce is definitely not what we're going for. Fire is better. So anyway, restoration is still better. But this process of sanctification is good. Yeah, I said it. Maybe I won't second service. But you, got, you guys are the trial run. So it's a fire, not a farce. Pastor Anthony. All right. Sanctification is an interesting process. This is talked about in Hosea chapter 2 because God says, I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. Other translations say she won't even remember them. We can read right by that as some sort of flowery poetic image that says, you know, it's like God saying, I'm going to be so great. You're, gonna, you're just going to forget. I'm going to be wonderful to you. It's going to be rosy. But I don't think that's what's going on. Because read Hosea chapter 2. Have I said that? Read it a lot. You find out that the wife, the unfaithful wife's relationship with these Baals, these lovers, is pretty deep. It's pretty disturbing. If you look at what she gets out of it, she gets her affection, her sense of belonging and self-worth. They're her lovers. That's where she goes. Those are the people that she runs to. Her daily needs are met through these Baals as well as her oils and her silver and gold and vineyards, her luxuries, all right? And her security is in these things. Times get tough, where do I run? Not the husband, that's the point. I go to these idols, I go to these lovers, I go to these bales. That's, that's a whole dependency cycle, guys. And because she's getting that from these bales, these things, whatever it might be, they also are worshipped by her. This is what she gets excited about. This is what's celebrated by her. This is what she gets all decked out to go visit, all right? And these are the things that have her ultimate devotion. Now, it's not too hard to go ahead and turn the, the light on ourselves and say, wow, well, when you look at it that way, what might be a bail, quote-unquote, in my own life? What am I depending on for my sense of security? What am I depending on to meet my daily needs? What am I worshiping? What am I celebrating? What really has my ultimate devotion? When I need to run to something to solve a problem, what do I run to? Where does my dependence ultimately lie? Now, that could be heroin, or it could be money. 
okay? It could be pornography or it could be your dashing good looks. It could be your charm. It could be your worldly wisdom. It could be all kinds of stuff. But when we look at it from this perspective, the question doesn't become, is it really that serious? The question is, how do I live without this thing? How does life even look without this? And this process of building a new life and forgetting the old one is what God is talking about when he says, I'm going to remove the names of the Baals from your lips. You're not even going to remember their names. You're going to walk with me. It's going to be so good. You're going to be restored. The Bible talks about this in Ephesians 4, 21 to 24. Paul's talking to the Ephesians. He says, you know how you're not supposed to act, and you know how you should act. And right in the middle he says, assuming that you've heard about him, that's Jesus, and we're taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, somebody say put off, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to, somebody say, put on, the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We just bought an old house. It relates, I promise. Friday night, we walk in for the first time. The tenants have finally moved out. Me and Nicole finally see the house. We'd only got a brief walkthrough. The whole way we got the house was miraculous, okay? But it's 100 plus years old. And it's been a rental. And we walk in, and without all their posters in the wall and all their stuff and all their furniture, it's like, dear Jesus, what did we do? This is rough. This is rougher than the sandpaper that I'm going to have to use on all these walls and these floors and the siding. Okay? This is harsh. The walls look like just pin cushions with nails and tacks and weird stuff. I don't even know what the heck they were doing. I keep finding beer cans and beer bottles and like, we love the house, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, you, you need more than a little TLC. You need a lot of TLC and maybe a bunch of my friends, okay? There are some things in that house that I'm going to put off. There are some things I'm going to take out. There are some things I'm going to buff. There are some things I'm going to trash. But you know what? When you watch somebody restore an old house, that's not the end of the job, is it? They don't just go in and gut the house and then thank you for your time. Because then there's stuff you put on. Some new cabinets, some new paint, some new plaster. Things get refinished. And by the end, it doesn't look like it does when you walked in. It looks new. new. It looks new. Guys, I want to invite you to get about the business of putting off and putting on. This is sanctification. This is restoration. And yes, a fantastic way to do that is H&R ministry at New Day Community Church, and, and even at Bethel and in Toronto, healing and restoration plays a huge part of what we're all about. And if I could be so blunt, in my life, when I've done this numerous times, it's basically just facing your stuff with God. And you'll get in prayer with another person leading you through it. You'll get a new perspective on things that have happened to you, thought processes you have, habits that you have. You'll have new heavenly insight. It, is, it really is amazing. I mean, I've had sessions that felt grueling and nasty and horrible, and you leave crying and feeling great. And it's really weird and you don't even understand what exactly happened. And, and sometimes you do know what happened. Sometimes something so amazing is shown to you that you get healed. You leave the session thinking differently, permanently. It can happen. It's happened to me. But if you do this, however you go about putting off the old and putting on the new, and this is a fantastic tool and I really do endorse it, you're going to need some things. One, 
you are going to need the humble courage and perseverance not to stop. You can't be the kind of person that sees your internal house for what it is and say, well, we're going to put this thing right back on the market. I don't want to live here. We're not going to put off anything. We're not going to put on anything. I'm, I'm peace. Just shut the door. I'm walking away. It takes humility to be restored. It takes humility to restore a house, but it takes humility to restore yourself as well. And it takes courage to keep going, to pull up the carpet, to find what's probably asbestos tile, and not to give up. You just have to keep going. Humble courage and perseverance. But I also want to tell you, it takes ruthless trust. Yeah? 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 Yeah. Yeah. It takes ruthless trust in God to actually do the work. Whoa, hold on, Anthony. I'm the one that drives myself to the H&R session. I'm the guy that has to think about this stuff. I'm the guy that has to take steps to correct stuff. Yes, you are, and good for you, and please do that. It takes humility and it takes courage. But you have to have ruthless trust in God to do the actual work. We partner with him. He restores. He restores. Paul is very clear about this. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. This means you can pray for God to the desire to do what God wants you to do, and he's going to give you both, the ability and the desire. He's pretty great. And in another place, earlier in Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God is not going to stop. That thing is going to be, it's going to be pristine when he's done. He is about restoration. Hearts, minds, and bodies. Don't quit. This is the activity of the Christian life. If the assured restoration of relationship with God is the beginning, this is what the Christian life is all about from this point on. And if you want to object and say, whoa, there's all kinds of do's and don'ts in the Bible. There's, there's the fruits of the Spirit. I know we're supposed to be, aren't we supposed to be like taking care of people and like doing all these good things? Yeah, guys, we put on the new man who's made in the likeness of Christ. That entails action, thinking different and acting differently. So the putting off the old and the putting off the new is really what we're all about as we go through this Christian life. Does that make sense? And if it was easy, we wouldn't need ruthless trust and humility and courage. But it is assured. That said, someone may know Philippians 1.6. Who can quote it? Anybody know it? No? Nobody wanted to? Okay, that's probably not a good thing to do anyway. Like, no, no one knows the Bible in here. Oh, I'm out of here. Drops the mic. Guy who relies on a phone app. <laughs> no. So Philippians 1.6 actually ends like this, doesn't it? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Anthony, what are you about to say? Well, actually something very good, something very encouraging. But before I say something really good and really encouraging, I want to play a game, okay? Oh, you thought it was going to be something super intense. No, and this game is called What are the Odds, okay? Because we know that God restores hearts, minds, and bodies, right? Now, we are a charismatic church who believes in healing. And not only that, but if you come to New Day Community Church or you hang out with the Toronto Partners in Harvest Circle, you will hear people say this. It's how often is it God's will to heal? Anybody? Always. Oh, it's always God's will to heal. Okay, don't answer out loud. But I want to play a game where you tell me what the odds are that you think you will witness... Or let me say it this way. Let me, what are the odds are that you think God's going to restore in the situations that I'm going to pop up, okay? Don't answer out loud. Number one, kid with a broken leg. Man, that cast goes above the knee. 
but we're full of faith, we're going to pray. Answer in your mind and be honest with yourself. What do you think the odds are that this is going to be restored? Be real with yourself. Think about it. Knowing that I'm doing my preacher thing, where in two or three slides I'm going to have an, oh, that's what you were doing moment. Next one. Stephen Hawking. A little harder. But what if old Steve was like witnessing a, a UK sunrise or something and he got radically saved and decided, you know what, I believe in this Jesus thing. I'd really like to be able to walk and talk. My whole life I've wanted this. And he runs into some Partners in Harvest dudes over in the UK and they begin to pray. Silently, what do you think the odds are that Mr. Hawking is going to be restored? Now these are, these are physical. The leg, Stephen Hawking, but God also restores hearts. I'm afraid that sometimes we talk about this too lightly, and uh, we can do that sometimes when we haven't experienced tragedy or anything really, really rough, but I was listening to a podcast. It was actually about historical genocide, and it reminded me of the Rwandan genocide, and this is a black-and-white photograph from 1994 refugee camp in Rwanda where about a million people were hacked to pieces by machetes. And these people have probably seen things and had things done to them or their children that I hope never to understand in my entire life. I'll be honest with you. The Lord will give me the strength if I ever have to understand it, but I really could keep my distance from that and be just fine. But looking at these people silently, what do you think the odds are that their thought process, that their emotions, that their memories, that their bodies in a lot of cases will be restored? Even if they all got saved and radically filled with the Spirit, what are the odds? I want to encourage you guys today because I've searched the scriptures and I know the percentage. That percentage is 100% of the time. How can I say that? How can I say that? Well, it is in Hosea chapter 2. You'll notice that Hosea and his wife are doing something in real time physically. Hosea is demonstrating restoration. You'll notice that God is saying, spiritually, this is also right now how I'm operating with my people. But then God zooms out. And he says, you also need to have my view of existence. You guys need to be playing long ball like I am. I'm going to betroth you to me forever. Forever. How do I know God's not just being poetic and saying, I'm going to love you a lot because of what comes before that? And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. This is end time vision stuff, guys. And if you thought anything less than 100% of the time for the leg and for Stephen Hawking or for those people that had suffered tragedy, that may, may indicate that you have far too narrow a view of what God has in store for you, that you do not fully grasp the amazing things and the blessings in the future that are coming. And I believe God does miracles here and now, and I believe he does it for an awful lot of reasons. Sometimes it's to inspire faith. Sometimes it's to demonstrate that he's present and active. Sometimes it's to bring a whole group to repentance and save a village. But sometimes, and maybe every time, he's saying, this is a down payment on what I plan to do for sure. Because our Bible does not end with Jesus rising from the dead. I have this book in the back of mine called Revelation. And unless your three-year-old niece ripped it out of yours, you can go to Revelation 21, 3 to 5 and read this. This is the end. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, that's old Greek and archaic English for check it out, I am making all things new. Wow. Guys, the assured restoration the assured restoration of relationship with God is the beginning of the Christian life. Take advantage of that today, please, if you would be so kind. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but it's instantaneous and guaranteed if you want it. Take advantage of it. But the Christian life doesn't stop there. Because the continual restoration of heart, mind, and body is the activity of the Christian life. Putting off old habits, old thoughts, old ways of doing things, and becoming more like Jesus in thought and action. That's the activity of the Christian life. But the hope of the Christian life is this. Eternal, ultimate, guaranteed restoration. I am making all things new. So I want to encourage us to do all three today. Please, don't leave without fully restoring that relationship with God. Take the opportunity. Take it today. Have the courage and the humility. If you're full of junk, congratulations. You are probably also breathing and eating occasionally because you're a living, breathing human. Guys, don't stop. Seek out healing and restoration. Just keep going. Put off the old and put on the new. But anchor your hope in what's coming forever because God is faithful and he's going to do it.